I offer that and start with that as an inspiration for you. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we uh, sit together. It's interesting because sitting is, we sit alone. We're in our own mind-body, right? And yet it's different sitting at home alone and sitting alone here together. So the togetherness adds a whole different uplift to practice in my experience. And part of that sitting together does mean that we take responsibility for each other. So uh, there's a real encouragement to um, take care of of your hands and watch your touch and keeping your hands off your face and so forth during this retreat. This is made, we say this every year in these these two months. But this year it's uh, it's got an extra dimension because for those of you who um, have been here for the last month, the coronavirus has come to the United States. And um, just in the last two days, there's been um, uh, instances in California, Washington, and Oregon of the coronavirus uh, being community uh, passed where there was no direct contact. So it's, it's, it's something we want to be respectful for by doing the things that I just suggested. And um, uh, in the U.S., we did have our first person die from it. So just taking a moment to, again, feel that. One way to understand that is to, that we're going to really apply our mindfulness in terms of taking care of the body. So that we, we don't make it an exception to our practice, we make it a manifestation of our practice. And we do it out of wisdom and out of loving kindness and compassion. So it becomes the whole of the practice manifest in an immediate way. The second thing I wanted to uh, mention before I get to telling you about what we're going to be doing for the first few days of the retreat is to uh, also acknowledge that uh, that we in the West are very fortunate to have had this Asian understanding, these Asian teachings come to us. And we are very blessed by that. And we never forget it. We never forget it. Uh, for in terms of our most direct lineage, it is Thailand and and Burma and Sri Lankan in terms of the, the the primary influences that have affected most of us in this way. But uh, we've studied in a wide range from Tibetan and on and on, Zen, so forth. But that's the primary ones, and that's what you get reflected. And um, as speaking for myself, and I feel like all of us, uh, we are play the role of teachers, but what we are is practitioners. This is just one more form of our practice. There's not a difference. We're all practitioners, and we play different roles throughout our lives. This is just one more role. What we're going to be doing uh, in the course of these next few days is we're going to really focus in on the Satipatthana Sutta, what's often called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, but might be more apt described as four establishments or four means 
for establishing mindfulness or four aspects of human experience to focus on to uh, understand and access mindfulness of the wholeness of our experience the wholeness it's inclusive this this instruction of the four satipatthanas the four establishments the four uh, aspects of life that we focus on, we contemplate, we reflect on, we directly experience in order to know how it is. The nature, our nature, the nature of this realm, the nature of our mind, nature, we're knowing it directly. To quote the Buddha, Monastics, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method, for the realization of nibbana, namely the four satipatthanas. Repeating, this is the direct path, direct path for the purification of beings for this releasing those things that that uh, control us that for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation for the end of personal suffering for the disappearance of dukkha the disappearance of dukkha as reflected in the second noble truth as well as the first and discontent so dukkha and discontent coming together for acquiring the true method method means path for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four Satipatthanas. So these, these four Satipatthanas are first the body, and we'll spend a lot of time, and then the Dharma talks and uh, references in the, in the instructional sits in the morning, focusing on the body, that's the first. And the second is the feeling sense, meaning pleasant and unpleasant and neither pleasant nor unpleasant in its two different dimensions, which you'll hear about later, which we call Vedna. And then uh, focusing on the mind as part of our experience. So we have body experiences. We realize, we, we find out what the body is, and then we notice that all experiences of the body are pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And now we've learned something about the body, and now we turn to the mind, and we discover that with the mind, it's also true that every experience of the mind is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor pleasant, and that they can be uh, seen clearly, they can be distinguished one from another in their wholesomeness and unwholesomeness. And we're building this from the body through the Vedna to the mind. And then finally, the fourth of the Satipatthanas is the Dhammas, seeing it the way it is, the Dharma, the truth of things, how it is. It's like this. And that, that Dhamma, that, that, that there's a whole series of Buddhist teachings that we then go back and filter everything in the body and the feeling tone and in the mind. We filter it through these different ways of contemplating the way it is. And uh, oftentimes um, that can be a little confusing because when we're being with the body, we think we're supposed to be seeing and having all this insight 
from with the body just from the beginning, but it's a little different than that. Um, so um, to read you um, another piece of the Satipatthana. First of all, um, uh, it, there's instruction about how to get started, and uh, in this he says establishing mindfulness in front of them. So mindfulness in front of us. So this idea that we bring mindfulness front and center, you'll hear me refer to that tomorrow as, as an invitation that we actually start to habituate the idea that mindfulness is to be front and center. So the Buddha from the very beginning is saying bring it front and center even while we're cultivating how to do mindfulness. You see the, the paradox of that? So we, we both are learning how to do this and we start doing it immediately. And it's not doing it perfectly, it's doing it with the idea of practice. The idea of cultivation. Uh, so often in long retreats we can um, uh, uh, start to have some experiences and that we appreciate some understandings and we can start to forget a little bit that what this practice is. We are practicing practice. We're not practicing results. Results come when conditions are favorable. They are not something, we can, I'm gonna go out and practice some results. I think I'm gonna sit here and have some insights, really profound insights. Said that way, we see that it's not, it's, it's, not, it's foolish. But we can, in our enthusiasm, when things are going well or when things aren't going well in a day of practice in a sit, we can get into like, where's the results? Where's the results? We are here to practice. We're practicing through the Satipatthanas. And when we practice, we create conditions where results, where insights, where liberation is most likely to arise in its own time and way based on all these karmic conditions, which the Buddha tells us is beyond contemplation, not to be contemplated, because there are too many, that it can't be done. So then he goes on and he says, this is the refrain which is repeated over and over again throughout these four Satipatthanas. So it must be fairly important, right? <laughs> In this way, in regard to the body, they abide contemplating the body internally or they abide contemplating the body externally or they abide contemplating the body both internally and externally. All these different ways you'll hear about that. They abide contemplating the nature of arising in the body or they abide contemplating the nature of passing away in the body or they abide contemplating the nature of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established in them to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. This is the line I wanted you to hear. Mindfulness that there is a body. Mindfulness that there is a body. You have a direct experience of knowing there is a body. We can all think that, well, of course I know I have a body. In my understanding, after uh, uh, my decades of practice, I think the Buddha is pointing to something much more subtle. He is pointing to a felt sense 
of the body. And the body as not a me and mine, but as this wondrous uh, com uh, compilation that allows knowing to be felt. And the very knowing that we learn through the felt sense of the body will be utilized in feeling Vedna, the feelings, be utilized in knowing the mind, because in all of our experience, there's some presence of, of, of it in the body. So we're learning the felt sense of pleasant and unpleasant, so that instead of being reacting to it, we know it just as it is. It's just pleasant or unpleasant. And likewise with mind states, they're either wholesome or unwholesome. We know. We know because we have a felt sense of it. And likewise with the dhammas, uh, because the, the Buddhist teachings are uh, all-inclusive. You start anywhere and you get to all of them. And the, the felt sense of it, so we start out oftentimes with an intellectual recognition, or sometimes you're starting with a felt sense and you're trying to understand it and you need the intellectual recognition. But let's say that we're, we're starting with an, uh, an intellectual recognition. And then from that intellectual recognition, we notice it over and over again, and we keep being mindful of it and noticing its component parts, and we start to actually have a felt sense. So we have a felt sense of life, of caring, of being scared, of wisdom. What is meant by wisdom? There's a felt sense of it. It's not an idea or it's not little rules we're following. We feel the wisdom in the moment. That's the power of the Satipatthana. Starting with this, this refrain, which in each instance, for everything in there, it is to the extent that there is awareness of whatever's being contemplated. This, this refrain repeats over and over again just with different things that are being contemplated throughout the four Satipatthanas. And as we, as we start to have this felt sense, part of what we're having a felt sense of is our own uh, subjectivity of our experience. We tend to uh, take what is subjective in our experience and think it's objective. And we think there's no choice and we get into a reactive state around our experience. But as we develop more and more felt sense of it, we start to realize there is choice. Why? Because we're knowing the experience from within the experience. We're knowing the experience from within it. That's why he so brilliantly divided it up. But we're also an observer. So we're a participant observer. So we're knowing the experience while having the experience. We're not off removed somewhere. The barcode reader at the supermarket knows that, you know, that a, a, a milk might cost $3.25, but it doesn't know the taste of milk and Oreos. So we're not trying to be the barcode reader of Buddhism but rather to have the felt sense of our own experience, the aliveness of it, and have choice in what we do, whether to be able to choose non-suffering over suffering within the middle of the experience. And it works. It really works. Because there is a method, as he described in the first thing, there is a direct path to knowing this. It's not magical. It's lawful, it's mysterious, but it's not magical.
in that way. It 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 is all fits together in that way. So this is the these next few days we will really be looking at this, and then we'll go on to be looking at other things too. But um, this will be the part of it, and we'll take a number of pieces in our evening talks and and so forth as we do this. Sati. Uh, sati is the word S-A-T-I for mindfulness. And sati patana, the, this, this patana word means like standing near or um, a, a particular way of being present. So mindfulness, the Buddhist mindfulness is being present towards an end. It's the end of grasping. It's the end of tanha, of thirst. It's, it's mindfulness cultivated for a reason, for, for non-harming. It's, it's not mindfulness that seeks advantage. That's not the Buddha's mindfulness. It's, it's mindfulness for wisdom, mindfulness for compassion, mindfulness for loving kindness. It's not advantage. It's, it's not being more productive. You know, it's great because, in fact, if you become more mindful, all of those things happen. But that's not the Buddha's mindfulness. There's this this goal that, that, to recognize suffering and non-suffering and to be able to choose non-suffering. He said, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. And so it is. So this, this the mindfulness is standing near as uh, being uh, present in a certain way. So we have experience in the body, uh, in the feeling tones that register in the mind, in the mind states, we have all of these experiences. And with the mindfulness, we, we stand near those. We're, we're rubbing against those experiences with wisdom and compassion loving kindness we're, we're, we're standing near it's not but we're not we're not identifying with that experience we're, in, we're gradually creating more space around it but never leaving the felt sense of it participant observer in that way there's uh, this we will use the word attention uh, quite often and uh, the attention is uh, this Manasakara, this, and we talk about wise intention, Yoniso Manasakara. Attention is slightly different in uh, the, the way my teachers have explained to me and the way I've experienced it for myself than mindfulness. Attention is that capacity to direct the focus of the mind towards something, to direct that something, if the mind focuses on something, it's paying attention to something. It can be strictly without you making any choice. Uh, you know, your toe starts hurting and you focus on your toe. Or suddenly out of nowhere you start thinking about an experience you had three years ago. And if, if you've been sitting here for a while, that attention is, that, that memory is so alive. But we weren't participating in that arising. Once something's arisen, we can then bring attention to it through using the, that fourth satipatthana, we feel how it's affecting the body. We feel, is it pleasant or unpleasant? That's why it's holding us. We see, is there clinging or not clinging? We bring wise attention to it. So sometimes we're bringing our attention to something that's uh, uh, occurred spontaneously, 
and other times we're deliberately directing our attention. So when we suggest that you have uh, an anchor object such as body sensation or hearing or the breath, the one we use most often for, but not work for everybody, is the breath as an anchor object. We are uh, all learning together how to uh, maintain attention on the breath to give us an anchor object for our experience. So it's deliberate attention and it's based on wise means. So uh, uh, we, that's when we are starting from the beginning to direct. When things come up, for whatever reason, we notice they've come up. That's paying attention to what's come up. We're being mindful of it by looking at it. By choice, okay, now I'm off daydreaming, ah. Now I wish to place attention back on the breath. The mindfulness allows us to know where it is and to see that we arrived to where we're going. So these, they work together, so close, but little difference. And I have found in my own practice that that really helps me because sometimes I was not actually applying the attention because I was... Um, I was just being mindful of it, but I didn't. I didn't feel the uh, the, the little wisdom of placing that attention. And we say this a hundred different ways. Most of you've already heard it a few thousand times in one way or another, it's just as you've heard about the Satipatthanas over and over again. When when um, when we have this. Uh, this felt sense. Uh, you can think of the felt sense as like a direct taste of something. So often we're getting the echo of our experience, we're feeling our reaction to our experience, but we're missing so much of the actual experience. A good example is knee pain or back pain or neck pain. So you'll get that little stabbing in the shoulder blade come up or various things will come up. And we label it instantly pain, but that doesn't mean we've actually experienced. The pain is a reaction to an experience. If you contemplate knee pain, you discover, oh, it's tightening, it's loosening, it's got burning in it. Oh, now, now it's changing around, it's spreading out some. Oh, now it's contracting. Oh, there's a, there's a sense of cohesion to this experience. We start to see that our experiences are made up of parts, and that is, we know those parts, it, it, it becomes more subtle, more richer for us, a more whole, more full experience. And so our relationship to our experience becomes much more as a participant rather than as a, um, simply a recipient of experience. And the, the, the participant isn't a me-mind participant, but, oh, my mindfulness allows me to participate in this experience in such a way that I'm not so reactive. I don't go to clinging. I don't fall into greed, you know, aversion or delusion because I'm more interested. Oh, well, I did fall in at that moment. What did that do for me? Not much. <laughs> And so gradually this purification starts because we're living the experience from within this experience. The intellectual recognition, very important, that's the attention, but the felt experience, really dropping in and knowing what this feels like for you. One last thing to say is that um, uh, he, the Buddha gives a number of similes which you'll hear uh, throughout this. He, he talks about mindfulness 
as a, a cow herder taking care of the, uh, the, the cows after the crops have been harvested. So you don't have to worry about that. They're going to eat the, so they, it's more casual. It's casual. It's laid back. It's not so, oh, are they going to get in and eat my crops? There's a kind of ease and mindfulness and really makes a difference when we're easeful. If we think, well, I'm going to be really tough here. It's so exhausting and doesn't, it's not reinforcing. There is a time for will and practice. But it's it's selective. Mostly it's relaxed attention. Relaxed attention. And just a couple more. Um, it's, it's one place referred to as climbing a platform. So you get an overview of things. Um, uh, and another way it's described as the surgeon's probe. That we're probing. like, But, but we're being careful with our probing. It's deliberate. And another place... It's like the spoke of a chariot. It's the center from which all of the flows, those four parts are going out. Another time, it's referred to as a gatekeeper. And there's a wonderful story about that that maybe someone will tell. And um, uh, it's, it's, has a, uh, it's what keeps the stream of the world in check, is another way it's described. This wise mindfulness. So that's what we will, we will be uh, doing in our first few days here. I know that you've heard about, uh, those of you who've been here, you've heard of various references. You may have had a whole series of days on it before. I don't know how many times I've heard about Asatipatthana, and it's always the Dhamma. And the Dhamma is always, as the Buddha said, good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. Look forward to being with you. <laughs>